0: Therapeutic Hypothermia, Treatment of Hypoxic Ischemic Encephalopathy, Part 1, by Denise Casey.
1: Hello, my name is Denise Casey, and I'm a clinical nurse specialist in the Neonatal Intensive Care Unit at Boston Children's Hospital. I'm going to be talking with you today about hypoxic ischemic encephalopathy, commonly referred to as HIE. Overview. HIE is defined as an interruption of supply of oxygen, hypoxia, and or blood flow, ischemia, going to the brain and body. This kind of interruption can happen for a number of reasons, such as compression of the placenta, tearing of the placenta from the uterine wall, or compression of the cord. HIE occurs in one in every thousand term live births and remains an important cause of mortality and neurodevelopmental deficits in infants. Pathophysiology. Now I'm going to be talking with you about the pathophysiology of HIE. The brain is approximately 2% of body mass, but consumes 15% of energy generated. The brain has minimal energy stores, and thus depends on a second supply of oxygen and glucose by the blood. HIE is characterized as a biphasic process. The initial phase is referred to as the primary brain energy failure, and the secondary phase is referred to as the secondary energy failure. The primary brain energy failure phase, there is a drop in cerebral perfusion, which leads to hypoxia, and at this time, the infant is found to be hypoglycemic and anemic due to the energy crisis. This further results in metabolic acidosis, ischemia, and cell death, leading to neurologic dysfunction. During the energy crisis, the body experiences intracellular derangements. These derangements lead to an increase in intracellular calcium, thus causing edema and cell death. In this phase of injury, there is continued destruction of proteins, membrane lipids, and other cellular contents, which lead to neuronal necrosis, which can be found hours to days later. In the secondary energy failure phase, this typically occurs six to 12 hours after the initial insult. If untreated, this leads to sustained brain injury. During this phase of injury, there's inflammation, apoptosis, oxidative injury, decreased growth factors, and protein synthesis, which are affected. HIE not only affects the brain, but can have multi-system involvement as well, such as respiratory depression, cardiac dysfunction, pulmonary hypertension, requiring assisted ventilation, renal impairment, Typically, these patients present with oliguria initially and then during recovery, a high output tubular failure. They can also have electrolyte derangements and hepatic impairment, such as DIC. Now that we have reviewed the pathophysiology of HIE, I would like to describe how HIE is commonly classified. Classification HIE is commonly classified according to the Sarnat grading scale. I will focus on the moderate to severe encephalopathy classifications, as this is what we are targeting for the treatment with therapeutic hypothermia. Moderate encephalopathy runs a 10% risk of death and 30% risk of disability. These patients typically present lethargic with reduced tone of the extremities, diminished brainstem reflexes, and possible clinical seizures. Severe encephalopathy carries a 60% risk of death, and many, if not all, who survive demonstrate neurodevelopmental disabilities, including intellectual, sensory, and motor impairments resulting from brain injury. Typically, these patients present in a coma. They have weak or absent respiratory drive, no response to stimuli, flaccid tone of the extremities and trunk, diminished or absent brainstem reflexes, diminished tendon reflexes, In an EEG that is severely abnormal. Now that I have spoken about the classifications of HIE, I will now focus on the inclusion, exclusion, and extended criteria for treatment with this therapy. Therapeutic hypothermia Studies have shown that therapeutic hypothermia has neuroprotective effects if instituted prior to the secondary energy failure phase, thus decreasing the severity of brain injury. Therapeutic hypothermia reduces cerebral metabolism, decreases the rate of cell death, and delays the cascade of metabolic changes that occur with HIE. Our original guidelines and inclusion-exclusion criteria were adapted from the landmark studies completed back in 2005. As evidence has emerged from clinical trials, we have modified our protocols to incorporate the latest information. We have a multi-facility neuroprotection group that meets regularly and rigorously discusses new evidence and shared clinical practice. Here at BCH, we use the following inclusion criteria. There are three distinct criteria that need to be met such as age and weight greater than 36 weeks and greater than or equal to 2 kilos, evidence of perinatal distress, which can be seen in the fetal period or postnatally, and neonatal encephalopathy. Examples of perinatal distress in the fetal period include abruption, cord prolapse. Examples of perinatal distress in the newborn period include a low APGAR score, poor postnatal blood gas, and continued need for ventilation. Neonatal encephalopathy is determined by a neurology exam. and may include altered level of consciousness and seizures. In addition, you can use an amplitude EEG monitor to help guide this decision and assess electrical activity of the brain. Over the last two years, as new evidence has emerged, we have expanded our inclusion criteria. For each of these criteria, we'll evaluate on a case-by-case basis to determine the risk-benefit ratio of the therapy. There is evolving evidence with these criteria, and you will have to determine the applicability at your institution. A few examples are infants between the ages of 34 to 36 weeks. You should consider, but need to take into account, other factors that may put them at higher risk of adverse effects related to the hypothermia. An age greater than six hours, possibly extending this window up to 12 hours when initiating treatment. An acute fetal maternal hemorrhage. This may or may not present with perinatal asphyxia, So consider a neuro exam, an EEG, to assess eligibility, even if the patient does not meet the inclusion criteria. As well as consider infants that suffer a postnatal collapse, such as near SIDS, as this is a postnatal etiology of HIE. The exclusion criteria for this therapy is a normal EEG. For these patients, we would consider continued monitoring to assess for potential later decline in neurologic condition, and monitor the patient for a minimum of 24 hours before transfer or discharge to home. The inability to cool by 6 hours. Patients should be cooled as soon as possible, and ideally within 6 hours following the hypoxic ischemic insult. However, providing hypothermia between 6 to 12 hours post-insult should be considered and evaluated on a case-by-case basis. Any chromosomal or genetic anomalies, such as trisomy 13 or 18, a systemic infection such as symptomatic systemic congenital viral or bacterial infection, coagulopathy such as low platelet counts, evidence of clinical bleeding, or spontaneous clinical bleeding, and a major intracranial hemorrhage. Knowledge Gained The AAP Committee on Fetus and Newborn published a clinical report in 2014 on the knowledge gained thus far and what uncertainties still remain with the treatment of therapeutic hypothermia. Thus far, there have been 1,200 infants enrolled in six large clinical trials. Analysis showed that moderate hypothermia was a modestly effective neural rescue strategy in the moderate to severe encephalopathy classifications. There is uncertainty that still remains due to the little variability in trials, such as the depth and duration of cooling, cooling infants less than 35 weeks, as well as cooling those prior to transfer. Since the incidence of death and disability remains high after cooling, we need to seek out further therapies to improve the outcomes of infants with HIE. There are promising neuroprotective agents such as erythropoietin, anti-epileptic drugs, melatonin, xenon, and topiramate as adjunctive therapy to therapeutic hypothermia that are currently underway in research studies. We need to continue to follow up on neurodevelopmental outcomes at later time intervals. Thank you for watching this video on therapeutic hypothermia for the treatment of HIE.
0: Please help us improve the content by providing us with some feedback. This recording is a production of Open Pediatrics, a free and open access resource for pediatric clinicians worldwide. For more pediatric care materials or to join our global community, please visit our website at openpediatrics.org.